0: Welcome back to 9T, USG's official podcast where we talk about you, me and everything in between. We appreciate you so much for joining us for this special edition of 9T as a part of USG's Latin Fest celebration from Monday, October 12th to tomorrow, Thursday, October 15th. And we'll catch you on the other side as we talk about the life of the immigrant. Estamos aquí hoy porque necesitamos hablar sobre la significación de nuestras comunidades. Today, Hispanic Heritage Month, which has been running from September 15th through October 15th, is in the spotlight as a celebration of one such community. And to talk about that, as well as about all kinds of other related things, we have Olga Chavez, who has joined us today. Thank you so much for taking some time out for us.
1: No,
2: thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, so to, to start off, can you tell us a little bit about your educational and professional background?
2: Well, currently, um, I go to the University of City Grove for the University of Maryland. I am a criminal justice manager, and I am currently a
0: senior. Awesome. And what kinds of things do you do outside of your classes as well?
2: Well outside of the classroom I'm actually a legal assistant. Um so I actually started off as being receptionist and then by the time I was um in Montgomery college I was in between majors and I kind of drew an interest in law. Um specifically immigration law.
0: Why immigration law in particular?
2: Well, it's actually a funny story. Um I actually, my parents are both from El Salvador, and um, a, a, the majority of our clients are from Central America, so that includes El Salvador, Honduras, you know, Guatemala. And when I, when I see these clients, they just remind me of family. And I just really like how this firm does so much to, you know, help these people obtain residencies, obtain legal statuses of all such through many different ways and one day if everything goes out well with my future if everything goes as planned i want to become an immigration attorney
3: i just think that's really beautiful i've been to el salvador before and i really loved it i spent some time in san salvador my spanish is still terrible which is really funny no you pronounce san salvador great i like that i would try not to talk a whole lot because they would give me a lot of crap about how
1: bad it was (laughs) Uh, this is Polly. I just wanted to applaud you. There's so much work, especially now, to be done. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that sense of connection, family connection, home connection, um, all of those things combined. I think for many of us, it's easy to sit back when we're a little more comfortable. So, um, I really applaud you for doing a lot of difficult work that needs to be done. Thank you. appreciate you.
0: Yeah. And so in terms of immigration law in particular, uh, there's a lot of things going around in society today that are really kind of putting into question a lot of the stances that people have about it. And so what does that all mean to you as you kind of move along the path in the legal realm?
2: Well, I just feel like everything that's going on right now, especially with the uh, Trump administration, I don't know if, uh, if you guys are informed about, like, what was happening with doctor recipients, TPS holders. Um, so basically, there were forms of protection for undocumented individuals. And um, referring back to your previous question, you said, um, what sparked my interest in immigration law? And I mentioned my family. So right when it started, a little after, excuse me, after I started working for the firm, I heard about the TPS program, which is temporary protective status. Um, So after I was looking into it, I I brought it up to my parents one day. I was like, hey, have you guys ever heard of this program? A lot of uh, recipients of El Salvador." And my parents, you know, disclosed to me that they were actually recipients of the TPS program themselves. So that was around, I was was around maybe 19 or so during that time. And before that, I had no idea that my parents were here, um, like, undocumented. So, um, just going back to everything, I just feel like it's really important for people in the Latin community to be informed about what's going on. Because at the end of the day, I was a U.S. born citizen, so at the end of the day, I don't see anybody any differently if they come from El Salvador, Honduras, or South America, immigrants from any um, place of the world, and that's why I really like immigration a because it gives people hope. It gives people some type of way to stay here. I mean, you know, we're all here for the American dream, so that's why my parents came here 20 plus years ago, almost 30 years ago, for that dream. And as of right now, they're in process for their uh, residency. So. If it wasn't for this firm, I would have never been so informed about what was going with immigration law. Back then, it was not—it was not something I worried about.
0: That's so powerful, and thank you so much for sharing that piece as well. It's—it's it's so beautiful to see that the work that your parents have done in coming here and the—the the work that this program has done for you and your family has. Born fruit in the way that it has. And so in terms of that, we're at the end of Hispanic Heritage Month now. And so how important is it that there's a month to celebrate the Hispanic community?
2: Well, a month is not enough, (laughs) but that's all we get, right? (laughs) Um, I just think it's a great way for people to grow an appreciation for the culture. I know everybody loves the food, so that's that's a big part of it but there's more to that there's more to obviously the language the customs the culture um you know being raised in the united states but being raised in a Salvadoran household i had a taste of both cultures you know going to school i was um exposed to the american culture but going home i was beneath my salvadorian culture so hispanic heritage month it's like i said it doesn't do it any justice for just having a month for um, people to grow that appreciation. But I'm glad that it's a thing. Um, there's been a, a lot of um, success in the East Hispanic community. Um, and I just feel like people who are of Latin background, um, she feels feel a sense of um, identity with this month. You know, we all come from different countries, of course. Um, but at the end of the day, we are under the same... I guess label of um, Latino, Hispanic, um, but it just gives a sense of identity, and I like that. I like being identified as a, a Latina, um, American, whatever. I, I really like this one.
3: Okay, so earlier, I know what protect, uh, protective, what is that called? I basically know what that is, but could you talk about the difference between uh, the protective status from Salvadorians and how it's changed lately, and the difference between the protective status and you called it CPA or
2: oh yeah, so there's TPS and then there's DACA. So TPS um, was um, given to Salvadorians who were affected by a natural disaster in uh, 2001, I believe, um, and then DACA recipients are for um, well, the third action for childhood arrivals. So it was allowed. Um, for undocumented um, children, or people who got your or or rights, excuse me, the first 16 years of age, uh, to obtain some type of legal status work authorization. The same with TPS. Um, the difference with DACA, they have had to have certain requirements. Um, the main one was we came here before the age of 16, before June of 2008. So the two programs, they have the similarities. They give you work authorization. You get a social security. And you know you could be in the United States for that lawful period um, as long as your work authorization is valid. So right now what's um, going on is um, they are planning to um, take away uh, TPS for Salvadorians, but right. now their status is valid up um, up to January two 20, thousand uh, twenty-one. Uh-huh. So that's the latest news with uh, TPS, um, but that's why everyone's talking about the whole. Um, presidential campaign because people have hoped that uh, Biden can do something about that, extend the program uh, for another uh, two years Year I know as of right now, DACA was um, going through this whole back and forth uh, situation with the Trump administration and the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court made a decision back in June of 2020 when Trump was trying to terminate the program in general. Um, I would have to look into um, the news on that. But as of right now, I know they're not taking any new applications for childhood
1: arrivals. Um, yeah. it, it, it's a lot. It's a lot. Um, uh, this is Polly, if I can just interject. I was reading that it was in 2018 that everything was going to change under the Trump administration, including Dreamers, DACA, um, undocumented, uh, especially not allowing for asylum, things which. Used to exist uh, before Mm -hmm. that, but also that there was a deadline that if you had not filed for this, and I don't think there was a lot of education. You can correct me if I'm wrong about filed by this deadline, and you can be exempt before these changes go into effect. So, have you observed a real uptick in fear with? You know, people speaking out, especially if they're undocumented, some things that have gone on with ICE, um, which have been, in my opinion, horrible. And then I just wanted to follow with, if you had any resources for students or, you know, anybody who is looking to, you know, work through an agency, because this is very complicated stuff, so to, Mm -hmm. you know, to sort of get some help with this, um, if you could share that, that would be, I think fantastic and really helpful for a lot of people.
2: Yeah, so um, referring back to this question um, regarding uh, people being, I guess, more fearful in that sense with everything that's going on with um, immigration, I I know that there has been numerous changes for asylum applicants um, um, this past summer in the firm I work at currently, um, we had to resubmit uh, some applications regarding uh, asylum um, requests because um, usually there is a one-year deadline with asylum. Um, sometimes people have legitimate reasons um, that they didn't show up in the court system, the immigration court system, or they simply did not know about the one-year deadline. Um, I know the clients that come to our office are more scared and before, sometimes people don't even want to go forward with an immigration case because they are scared of ending with immigration, let's say showing up at their house. Um, but the attorneys at my place, at my job, they always just tell people um, the law is always changing. You never know if one day you apply for something, it gets denied. And then in two years, there's another law saying, if you apply for this before this date, there's some sort of benefit. Um, and then for resources, I personally don't have a list of resources that people could obtain. I know that there's a program um, called Class Start and Readiness. I would have to look more into that. Um, I know the LSA has more connections with that program. Um, Personally, when I need questions about immigration answered, I I look on USCIS sometimes. I read articles. I watch videos. Or I... um, I just try to ask the attorneys at my job, um,
1: "What do you think about this?" Um, they're always getting informed as well with new laws. They, they get emails. Um, yeah.
0: Well, thank you. Yeah, it really is wonderful that there's local organizations that are out there working to help boost the community and to really kind of bridge the sorts of gaps that were that we're seeing in a lot of ways. And In terms of those gaps, in the midst of the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, the injustices inflicted upon other people of color can sometimes be overshadowed uh, and even forgotten by people. And so how do you feel like we should make sure that those kinds of things don't slip through the cracks? You're referring to being updated with
2: current events? Like, for example, the Black Lives Matter movement?
0: Yeah, so I'm saying that Black Lives Matter is a thing at the forefront right now. Um, In particular, just with the continued police brutality against Black lives. But sometimes other minorities may feel that, oh, I mean, we're also being abused as well. And I wanted to know, firstly, a little bit about how much you feel like that's prevalent in the Hispanic community. And then also about how we should make sure as a society that, we're not missing that whenever we're considering these discussions about injustice.
2: Okay, I feel like you're saying. Yeah, I do agree with you. I know um, once Black Lives Matter started receiving more publicity, we, um, some people in the Hispanic community, I guess, were feeling a sense of um, being b- not bothered, but they felt that, you know, our news wasn't getting out there as well. Um, For example, um, the Trump administration separating families, the zero uh, tolerance policy. And um, I know personally, I saw things like that on Twitter where people were saying, well, people aren't supporting our news. Why should we focus on their news? And in that sense, I feel that that's not right. I understand we all come from. We we are separated into different categories. Obviously we, the Hispanic community is different from the problems that the African American community is dealing with. But I think in that sense it shouldn't be it shouldn't it should be um a game to see who gets more pub- publicity or who gets more media attention or who gets more compassion in that sense. I feel as if people in the American community people in, in the United States we should help one another, especially if it's another minority
0: such a yeah i mean um and i totally agree with that and so several times you've referred to yourself as latina so what does it mean to you to identify as latina
2: well, for me, identifying myself as Latina, um, you know, I am proud of my Salvadoran background. Um, obviously I speak Spanish. Um, I connect with others in my, a, um, Latin community. The clients at my job, they're always very humble people. I, I, like I said, when I see these clients, I think of my family. And, and if anything, they, they do our family and, in a way, especially when I see people from The same part of my father and my parents I, you know, you build a connection with people and I feel like working in the Hispanic community has really changed me as a person. Before working here, I could not, I, I really didn't speak that much Spanish. I spoke Spanish of course at home, but outside of my home, outside of my bubble with my family, my parents, I really didn't speak Spanish. And I feel like now if I see somebody struggling with English, I, you know, put my head. I'm like, hey, do you need help? Or, um, you know, if I see somebody, um, you know, in a store and they start to start a conversation with me, and you know, obviously they, they're speaking in Spanish, of course, I'm gonna, you know, answer them and be like, hey, like, you know, um, you know, just engage. And mm-hmm. you know, people are always like, oh, I don't get question, too. to you born here? And I'm like, yeah, I like You're like, why? Your Spanish is so good. And I'm like, thank you, like you don't really meet kids like that. You don't really meet, um Hispanic or Latino kids born here who don't really speak Spanish or like to engage with others in Spanish to a certain extent. And I just feel like that's, that's just how my, that's how my mom is. She She likes to talk to anybody. She likes to relate to other people, especially Central Americans. I feel
0: like that just gave me another way to connect with my community, and connect with my background. I love that, um, and it's it's not just within the Hispanic community; in other communities as well, the issue of immigrant parents moving to the U.S. and then mm-hmm. not teaching their children the their native languages is something that's prevalent all over the place. And thank you so much for bringing that up, because that's such an important point and so for you having embraced your culture a little more through the work that you do how much do you feel like that's bled through to other aspects of your life in terms of the kinds of movies you watch or the music you listen to
2: well regarding music yes I've i, feel like I grown an appreciation for music you know everybody loves the latin trap artists bad bunny Angel, i love bad Yes, exactly. Bad Bunny, um, Becky G. I feel like I did grow an appreciation now for that music because, you know, it's, I guess people just like it. People like that they can listen to music in English and Spanish. I feel like that's a big thing in, um, in the Latin community that we can connect with both cultures, and I feel like that. I even now, I, I feel like that helped me grow an appreciation for my culture. Another thing is now I like to watch um, more than Spanish as well. Um, now I can relate with my parents. I can bond with my parents, like watching movies, watching old soap operas. Um, it just gives a way to connect to the, to the community, to the culture. And sometimes it can be hard because I feel like sometimes balancing the two cultures or you know sometimes trying to be american enough for a certain group of people but at the end of the day you're still latina latino i feel like sometimes that can be hard and like like i mentioned before i like i like it now because i know i can identify myself as latina regardless of what anybody says like regardless if i don't meet a certain criteria if i don't dress a certain way if i don't speak spanish to a certain extent if i don't know an extensive vocabulary in spanish let's say. I know I can identify myself as a Latina.
3: That's very cool. Do you have any, I, I'm a big TV and movie fan. Do you have any uh, Latino movies that you particularly like?
2: Latino movies? Um, I'm, I will be honest with you. I like to watch these old Mexican black and white movies. So I don't know the titles. <laughs> yeah, um, but my, my father's a big fan. So that's how we bond. Oh,
3: that's so cute. Yeah. Yeah, I recently watched um, this movie on Netflix called *Innocent Voices* about the El Salvadoran Civil War. That was really good, but man, was that a tearjerker!
2: I, oh wow! Yeah, Civil really War. Yeah.
1: I feel like, in many ways, it was such a brutal um, civil war, and uh, there are a lot of things that people criticize, and I think it's not really put into context because we tend to not want to look at all the things that led up to, it's sort of systemic, if that makes sense. In the same way that with the Black Lives Matter thing, it's systemic. And without really understanding the history, it's easy to make a lot of assumptions, in my opinion. But it's very important, I think, and as you know, somebody who is majoring in history, that uh, all of it, you know, whether it's Black Lives Matter, what, whether it's, it's putting it in a, in a context that's historically accurate, that really does justice, because there is a history behind all peoples, you know what I mean? So I think we make a lot of assumptions, whether it's color, religion, and unfortunately, we don't really take a look at history, like real history. Um, oh, yeah.
3: Do you have any thoughts on, um, I've, I've read a few articles, but I am n- not an expert by any means, uh, the, the inequality between um, indigenous people of Hispanic descent and people that are, are white passing?
2: Actually, at my job, I know for asylum claims, we have had numerous clients who have obtained um, DFILE status because of their indigenous, indigenous excuse me, um, I've seen more of it from Guatemala, I haven't really seen faces from El Salvador, but I know Guatemala has more uh, indigenous people. Um, but I, I feel like, yes, there is, a- um, I, I feel like everywhere, I mean, it's just like in the United States, excuse me, you know, everyone feels like um, the lighter you are, the more you're accepted in society. And I've, I've heard stories about it from like, you know, from peers, Um, when they go to El Salvador, they get um, treated a specific way uh, or they're preferred um, um, compared to another person. So I feel like that does exist in the
3: Hispanic community.
2: Um, Yeah.
3: Yeah. Very interesting. Thank you.
0: And so on on the note of the way people are referred to one another, in particular, as you were just discussing with colorism, um, the of late, the term Latinx has, been, has also been used to refer to the Hispanic community. Uh, how inclusive of a term do you feel like this is? Uh, and is it something that should be considered along the same realm as just referring to it as a Hispanic community?
2: Um, well, the term Latinas. So well, I know that's like all oh, you can be, uh, the term Latinas can be, it's like, um, yeah, I like been gain thing. I know because people don't want to just uh, use the uh, gender um, with the term, so, you know, Latina, Latina. Um, so and I think it's a good thing, thing. for the Latino community. Um, I know if you're Latino, you can also be considered Hispanic because Hispanic are people who speak Spanish, but Latinos are people from Latin America. Um, so, like for example, somebody from Spain wouldn't be considered Latino, right. but they would be considered Hispanic. Um So, I just like to give people in the Latin community like another title that they can identify themselves with, or they, that they can uh, you know see themselves under. So, I guess, I feel like it just gives the Latino community another like another um, another way to be identified. Yeah.
0: And then slightly unrelated, but how do how well do you feel like USG are doing in terms of being inclusive to the Latinx community?
2: I think um, USG is doing a really job. I know my friends um, involved in LSA; they they are awesome. I know that they are trying their best to get word out to the Latin community. I know um, like Stella, Arlene, Julia, uh, Lauren, they they are great people. Um, they're always informed uh, with current events. I know Julia is very involved with uh, protests. Um, Arlene is very informed on a lot of things. Um, they're always trying to, um, you know, I know the LSA just started, I believe, um, my first year at USG and I was in, i wasn't so informed that um they, the school was doing that type of club to you know bring people from the line community together and i just think it's a nice thing because i feel like a lot of other schools should do it i know my high school you know back in the day five years ago um they had like the latin dance team so that was another way um for people in the line community to connect with one another um they would have the competitions as well um so yeah and then people should really check out the lsa instagram account um, so they can go ahead and check out the uh, information with our uh, group Um, right now we're currently doing a donation drive so yeah i I feel like usg is doing a terrific job (laughs) to answer your question the lsa is awesome
0: yeah i know they really are and they they started up last fall actually and it's, it's just amazing because uh i believe they won last year the new student organization of the year as well and so it just really shows the wonderful work that you all are doing and thank you all so much for bringing that to the table and the conversation
3: a fun question real quick do your parents yeah. were ch- ch- at you that's like some of the memories from when i went to South salvador is everyone going like ch- ch at me all the time and i was like it's just like to get your attention and stuff but it's just one of my main memories <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no. Uh, uh, my parents don't usually do it, or they
2: don't do it as much as they used to. I feel like they they did it a lot though when I was a little kid. When I was a little girl, yeah, like you're just like trying to get hey, attention, <laughs> trying to get your like, don't do that.
3: <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. All right, Henry, you go for it. All
0: right. So, as a final question, what would you, in this current madcap time? of 2020 tell you of 2010 if you had the opportunity
2: wow <laughs> i would tell her you know, to Spanish <laughs> a lot <laughs> try to build that vocabulary <laughs> because like i mentioned before um i i spoke spanish at home but it's different you know speaking spanish in your household and then using spanish and uh in a, in, a, in the professional world, obviously, I'm not going to use legal terms at home. I wasn't using legal terms at six, seven years old, um, but I feel if I could tell myself um, my, my if I could tell uh, myself from ten years back, I would tell her to first um, learn the language more, <laughs> um, try to connect more with uh, organizations, groups. I would. Honestly, I wish I was more involved with things, to be honest, within the Latinx community. Um, I'm glad now that, you know, as an adult, I work at this firm. I get to work with um, immigration cases. I really like that. Um, It just opened up my eyes on many things
0: um, in this
2: type of area of law. Um, um, And, you know, now I'm involved, too, with the LSA, uh, thanks to my good friends at USG. But I, I wish I was just more involved with things, you know, and I wish I had grown this appreciation a long time ago. But I'm glad that, you know, things do happen. You know, um, um, you know I'm sorry. You know, I'm just glad, <laughs> at the end of all this, I'm just glad of, of who I am now and how much I appreciate the culture, the little people. I feel like that's an amazing thing. I feel like some people do not appreciate the little people or the humble people. Um, from Central American countries, because by far, they are the nicest people you'll ever meet. And I, sometimes it makes me, it makes me sad that the news, you know, portrays the lying community as criminals, as dangerous, and, you know, things of that such. But, you know, you can't just put a label to a full group because of one specific person or a specific group or a specific case scenario. And I just wish i been
0: with the situation a long time ago, and, and it had, um, if it would have built up over the years. Thank Thank you so much. And uh, in a general sense, cuando pensamos sobre los grupos del mundo, necesitamos pensar en más de sus culturas. Necesitamos pensar también en sus contribuciones al mundo. Y este tiempo es necesario de hacer eso. And on that note, we thank you so much, Olga, for coming in today. And yeah, we appreciate your time.
1: Thank,
0: thank,
1: you, so
0: thank you so much for me. All right. Thank know. you. We appreciate you. All right. And so now, what's going on at USG?
3: Uh, Well, I'm Caroline, and I'm going to plug two things. I first want to shout out to Grover Essentials. They just started uh, back up again at USG, which is the uh, uh, student and faculty and staff of Food uh, bank, and they're doing these things where you can sign up for slots, and then uh, you'll sign up for the slot, and then you'll go to USG and you'll get a locker number and you'll get uh, the key to the locker, and inside will be a bag of foods like pasta, perishables, things that you need. Okay, I also want to plug the S- Center for Student Engagement open mic night, which is November sixth, four to six p.m., and the sign up is already up. If you go on the USG website, feel free to sign up or just be a participant. We got rappers. Musicians, bands,
1: comics, spoken word poets, come out. It'll be fun. All
0: right. What else do we have going on, Polly?
1: You're not alone. I was feeling very alone in this. that I was the only person who wasn't like computer savvy. And we are here to support you. So, and the school especially is here to support you. And I guess I wanted to add this semester how supportive I, I have felt that my, my teachers are. Really, they are. And that even teachers are, are struggling with technology, so um, yeah, so big shout out right now to all the professors. and thank you guys.:
0: Thank you so much. and also, I'm um, in a special way, we'd like to shout out the Center for Academic Success, and in particular its director, Annie Foster Ahmed, for our work with the Let's Talk Tuesdays series, which happens every single Tuesday and uh, just for the wonderful collaborative and compassionate environment that she creates there, as well as the Marla Beck speaker event, which is tomorrow, Thursday, October 15th, from 5 to 6 p.m. p.m. where Marla Marla Beck, co-founder and CEO of Blue Mercury, is speaking about female leadership and empowerment. In addition, we also have On Thursday, October 22nd, coming up at 12 p.m., a Federal Jobs Insider, where you get tips about landing internships and entry-level jobs in the federal government. So stay tuned for all of that, and in a special way, we thank you all for joining us here again today, and feel free to check us out on The Normal Places, and we'll catch you next time on ninety. And on that note, thank you all so much for joining us today. Feel free to use the voice message feature on Anchor to provide any questions, comments, or suggestions for things you'd like to see in this podcast. And you can tune in to us via several places where you normally find your podcasts, including Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. And follow us on our social media pages, on Instagram and Twitter at USG, the number 9T, as well as on the Facebook group at 90 Podcast USG, And we'll catch you next time on 90.